Musical Theatre Writer Guy was written and filmed as a YouTube channel series on the traditional and unceded territory of the Muncie Lenape and Canarsie people. Each episode is also released here in podcast form. To learn how you can work with me or to join the Musical Theatre Writing Collective, please find out more at michaelraddy.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-R-A-D-I dot com. Enjoy the show. Writing compelling stories and characters has to be one of the most common issues and blocks I see amongst writers, and especially musical theater writers. I mean, writing anything is difficult, but when you've got as much to consider as musical theater writers do, music, lyrics, staging, design, movement, it can get overwhelming very fast. So what can we do? Where can we start? There are three incredibly powerful tools that we have at our disposal to make our characters and our stories compelling. Let's start with one of the most underrated tools, words. Words matter, word choices matter, and context is everything, but we'll get to the other two in a moment. I've often heard the saying that words are magic, and honestly, it's really hard to disagree. We can utilize language to create so many things. We can create visuals to be imagined. We can conjure emotions. We can make peace. We can force conflict. We can make art, we can tell stories, and we can build entire worlds. Words themselves are extraordinarily powerful, and they're also a phenomenal tool. English is a fantastic and strange little mixture of language roots. Basically, it's language stew. But that means that unlike a lot of other languages around the world, English has a built-in flexibility to adopt words, expand its vocabulary, and to use synonyms for specific nuances. We can essentially say the same thing in different ways, but with each way meaning something slightly different. In other words, pun intended, word choices matter. For example, the following three phrases mean, at their core, the same thing. Killer kitties, fatal felines, and deadly cats. All three of these phrases mean some form of feline creature with the ability to kill. However, due to the changes in word choice, they each give off a slightly different intention in their meaning. To me, Killer Kitties either feels like some sort of YouTube compilation of videos of little kittens trying oh so adorably hard to be ferocious, or like an anime cartoon of a crime-fighting ferocious cat squad. You know, it would have a theme song like, Killer Kitties, fight the crime, Killer Kitties. I don't know. Where Fatal Feline sounds like a bad film noir starring actual cats, or like a natural history museum sort of display on large predator cats of the world. Fatal Felines, no, no, no. Right, they all deserve a theme song. And Deadly Cats sounds factual and almost boring in comparison to the other two. Kind of like a filler program on Not Geo at 11 a.m. on a weekday. Or maybe even a bad sequel spin-off of cats. Dedical cats, they're dedical cats. Just offering it to you, Andrew Lloyd Webber. It's right there if you want it. Three phrases that all contain the same information, but with very different results. And results that ultimately point toward music choice. So word choices do matter. And if the choices of specific words can make that much of a difference, then this has to be part of that recipe for creating compelling stories and characters. But we need more. We need some. Context is queen, y'all. She rules everything. As great as word choice can be in conveying a thought the way that you specifically intend, the context in which it's said could change every bit of that intention. And to clarify, by context I mean who is saying it, to whom it is being said, 
where it's being said, when it's being said, why it's being said, and how it's being said. There are a ton of variables, which is part of what makes context so tricky, but also part of what makes context so freaking important. Let's take a simple, often spoken phrase as an example. I love you. Aw, lovely, right? Or is it? The utterance of this one phrase from one human being to another has been the driving force behind a whole bunch of storytelling and media throughout recorded human history. It is a powerful phrase that can change drastically depending on the context. Let's begin with who is saying it. A small child? A parent? A lover? A significant other? A friend? A friend who wants to be more than a friend? A stranger? A stalker? You may have felt fine with the options at the beginning of that list, but by the end, you may have felt less okay with those options. Even expanding a friend into a friend who wants to be more than a friend changes the context drastically. And one of these two ideas is naturally a more compelling idea to watch unfold on stage. What if we do that same thing to the idea of a stranger? Now, I assume that you didn't feel great about a stranger being on the list, but let's see how the context changes between these two options. A stranger who you've been on five dates with, have been flirting with for a little over a month, and who has just now opened up and said, I love you for the first time. Or, a stranger you've never seen before following you home from the bar. The meaning of stranger here is now extremely different based on the context of who is saying it. And if the character who is qualifying these people as the stranger would then sing a song about it, these would be two completely different songs. Not to mention that if the stranger themselves were singing in that song, they would be singing I love you in very different ways. Context is indeed powerful. To whom it is being said, this one is, well, fairly intuitive. We may often say I love you to people in our lives, but we probably mean it differently depending on who we're talking to. The love we feel for various people is different, and love is a large conglomeration of various emotions and nuances. Think about how the meaning of the phrase would change if you were to say I love you to a colleague, a friend, a parent, a friend's parent, grandparent, a teacher, an acquaintance, a date, a significant other, a spouse, an ex, a boss. I mean, my God, we could just keep going. How deep is the love you're expressing? Are you just expressing or do you want something in return? And how would you define that specific type of love? All of those answers can change depending on the person you are speaking to, and some are more compelling than others. Let's say that the song phrase was, I love you. If I was singing that to a friend, it kind of sounds like I was grinning at them cheekily for some sort of joke they may have just said. If I was saying that to a spouse, it sounds more like a reinforcement of something. It's a little too low to be a declaration, and well, I'd assume that they already know that I love them, so it sounds like we are holding that out for a specific reason. And if I was saying that to a grandparent, it sounds like maybe that grandparent would be toward the end of their life, and I was trying to reassure them that I do indeed love them. And of course, the accompaniment for any one of those choices would be different and would help reinforce the context. Providing sound to subtext, why we love music. By the way, if this video has been interesting or helpful to you so far, please give it a little like so that it can spread to more viewers like you. Thanks. Let's move on to where it is being said. Again, this one is fairly intuitive. It's quite different to say I love you for the first time in the middle of a candlelit dinner date than it is at home in the middle of a breakup, where we say something can alter the strength and the meaning behind it. For instance, let's assume that you're with a friend who you love deeply. How does the depth and meaning of the phrase I love you change if either 
you were on their couch and they just made you laugh raucously at a joke that only the two of you would understand, versus you're comforting them at the funeral for their parent. That change in context would create completely different scenes and songs when it is being said. All right, let's use the example I mentioned from before about saying I love you for the first time in the middle of a breakup. Even in the context of a single conversation, when that phrase is said in that conversation can completely change the meaning. For this example, let's assume that the person saying I love you for the first time is the person who is being broken up with. Here are three thoughts. If I love you is the first thing said in the conversation, perhaps it is actually said with joy and enthusiasm, but then also becomes the impetus for the breakup conversation that follows. If it is said in the middle of the conversation, perhaps it becomes part of the person's argument as to why this feels so sudden and out of nowhere. If it is said at the end of the conversation, perhaps even as the last words, then it may be a desperate last ditch effort to try to get that person to stay. Small changes to the when can alter the emotional state of both people and change the intention of the words. All of these have the potential of being compelling, but which one creates the most tension and drama and also stays true to the characters that you created? Why it is being said. Ultimately, the why tends to be attached to the combination of who, to whom, where, and when. This means that it is often generated or influenced by the surrounding circumstances, which does mean that you can generate the answers to those other questions from the why. I mean, we rarely just say things to say them. There's always an intention behind it, a reason. And to continue with this idea of love, we don't stop loving people just because we're not saying it every second. So if we are saying it, there must be some sort of environmental reason that we are doing so. For example, a parent tucking their child into bed after a particularly difficult day for the two of them. Or a just married couple sitting on the bed, taking off their shoes and exhaling, being alone for the very first time since their wedding reception ended. Or a friend to a best friend who just delivered the silliest, goofiest, and most public promposal. With the remaining context, the why becomes apparent. How it is being said. More than anything, the way we say something is a window into our current emotional state. Composers, I'm now looking specifically at you. People often believe that the way they say something is really a reflection of their current environment. I mean, how many times have you heard a teenager say that they are being defensive because their parents are just so annoying or they keep asking so many questions? But the way we say something isn't really based on the outer environment. It's a reflection of what we're feeling internally. And this is tied to the outer environment as well. Perhaps that teenager is feeling defensive when they're being asked how much homework they have because they feel completely overwhelmed about the amount of work that they have to do and they find they can't speak about it. Or perhaps it's because they never plan to do it and their parents can't know that if they don't know how much work there was in the first place. Inner reality becoming outer material is where the music comes into play in a musical. This is where the context can really help composers shine and help create compelling drama. I mean, how often are we honest about our inner states to other people, let alone to ourselves? And now we can take this information as composers and lyricists and we can communicate it to the audience through a beautiful tension of words and music. And let me tell you, well-written tension between words and music is in itself 
compelling. Words, word choices, all of the facets of context, music as your subtext, these are the incredibly powerful tools that we all have at our disposal. Remembering their power and importance will help you to create worlds, stories, and characters that are not just compelling, but downright irresistible. But if you need some help making sure that your lyrics are landing as effectively as your spoken dialogue, then you should watch this video next. Otherwise, thank you all for being here with me today, and I'll see you again soon. Cheers! Thank you for listening to Musical Theater Writer Guy, available wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to rate and review this show as it really helps others to discover what you already know. And please do share this show far and wide so we may all become an even closer musical theater community.